If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians, and let's go to chapter 3. Now, we've been looking at the position in chapter 1 of the model church. And then we also saw the model servant. And so Paul's been using this uh, progression of the model. And so now we come to chapter 3, and he speaks about the model brother, and it's Timothy. Now, it's interesting that Paul calls Timothy his son uh, in the spirit. And yet here he acquaints him with being a brother in the church, just like you and I would be this morning a brother or sister in this church. And so Paul's love and passion, his care for the church at Thessalonica, was demonstrated here in chapter 3 when he sends Timothy to them. Timothy and Silas, uh, they're model brothers in Christ Jesus. Now back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, Paul writes that he longed to see them. He wanted to see them again. Yet remember that last week in verse 18, Paul said that the enemy, Satan himself, and the demonic realm hindered Paul from visiting. That word hindered, we saw it last week, that he cuts into your plans, that he cuts right into the plan that you have. And so Paul had desire to go back, but it just didn't materialize. And so we see how the enemy works. Vine's Dictionary of Greek's Words uh, says that the, the word hindered here says that Satan will break up the road before you. He will place any and all hindrances. And so the key that we find is that we have to pray and perseverance of prayer. And Paul's going to describe that in this chapter this morning. His concern was for the church at Thessalonica, how their faith was in the Lord. Now remember that Paul had left the church at Thessalonica after only three weeks. He was there for a three-week span. We find that in the book of Acts. And he had to leave abruptly. In fact, they escorted him out. And so the hindrances, the enemy, and yet Paul understands that all things work together for good to those that love God. But his concern now, I need to find out how their faith is. Interesting, we shared this last week. In Romans 10, 17, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so here in chapter 3, Paul's desire to send Timothy back to see how the faith of the church of Thessalonica, how they are doing. And Paul's going to receive tremendous report. Notice now verse 1, his concern for their faith. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, he says, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. So we begin to see Paul's heart. He says, we couldn't stand it any longer. We decided that I should stay here in Athens. We know that he's at Corinth and that uh, Paul and Silas would stay there, but Timothy would go on uh, to the church at Thessalonica. But notice the word endure here. If you have a King James, it's the word forbear. And the word forbear, that Paul could no longer wait around patiently, he had to send Timothy. Now, I identify with that because men, most of us are impatient. Ladies, I'm sure you have your uh, bouts with it. But we're so impatient. It seems that we can't wait upon the Lord. But I think here also, 
that the Holy Spirit was directing Paul, find out what's going on at Thessalonica. Remember, Paul left because there was a riot condition, according to Acts chapter 17. He doesn't know what they're into right now. He knows that, remember in Acts 17, because they couldn't find Paul, Paul had left, and he went to Berea, and then from Berea, he went to Athens. And so we know when they went to Jason's house, that's where they were having church, they couldn't find Paul, but they took Jason out, and they took others that were there at the home church, and they beat them. And so Paul's obviously concerned, and he's going to be speaking about their trials. But he wants to know their affairs. And that's a good shepherd. That's a shepherd's heart. And he says, Silas, you know, stay with me. I need companionship. I need fellowship. But let's send Timothy. And Timothy's going to come back with a report. Look at verse 2. And so he sent Timothy, our brother, and then he calls him a minister of God. And our fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two reasons he sends him. To establish you, speaking to the church at Thessalonica, and to encourage you concerning your faith. Now we know that previously Paul had called uh, Timothy a servant. Silas was a servant. And we know that the word servant and the word minister are the same in the Greek. It's the word diakonos. And it means one that waits on tables, one that does the menial tasks. So here's uh, the beautiful picture, the testimony uh, of Timothy, that he was a servant of the Lord. He was a minister of God. And so he sends him on this missionary journey, if you may. And the whole purpose was to establish the church there. The word to establish means to make them firm. And as he's declaring, to make them firm in their faith. Timothy, go minister to them. Find out about their establishment, their firmness uh, in the faith. And also, Timothy, as you're there, encourage them. And so the word to encourage is comfort them, console them. Oh, sometimes, church, we need to be uh, a comfort to others. We need to be an encouragement to others. We need to encourage them in the faith. And this is what exactly that, that Paul was doing. Now, I love names in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to study more about Timothy when we finish the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But the name Timothy in the Greek means one who honors God. So imagine this young man coming back to your city, and it's a man, it's a young man that honors God. And then the Thessalonians, I'm sure, fell in love with him. And Paul calls him a brother. That had to have been a little tough for Paul because he called him the son of the Spirit. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls him a true son in the faith. And so now he's going to send him. As the church at Thessalonica are Paul's own kids. He cared for them. He loved them so much. Now, notice verse 3. He says that no one should be shaken. He's speaking to the church at Thessalonica. No one should be shaken by these affections or afflictions, excuse me, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. And so Paul goes back to the trials. Paul goes back to the hardships, the pains. It's part of our Christian walk. It's part of our call to ministry. Timothy knew this. Paul definitely knew that. He understood it, that it was part of being a servant. 
part of being a minister, part of being a brother, a sister in Christ. We will go through trials. The word affliction here speaks of one that goes through tribulations, one that goes through trouble, one that goes through anguish, through pain, through hurt, through persecution, through heavy burdens. And if you've been a Christian long enough, we all face our trials. Now, sometimes trials can be physically. Sometimes trials can be emotionally. You know, the church is not exempt. We will go through trials. And some of us could probably write a book on trials. And so again, what was their trial? There was a riot condition in Acts chapter 17 when Paul had left there. And Paul's concerned. I wonder if they've gone through any more. The longer you're a Christian, it's not that you become immune to it, but you know the trials are going to come your way. In fact, when everything's going perfect, I look up and I go, okay, I know it's time because here comes the trial. And a trial is going to strengthen me. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that trials strengthen me. Trials build stamina. Trials build your faith. And probably one of the greatest things that trials brings and develops in my life and your life, listen to this, he builds character. And if you're like me, I respond to the Lord. I have enough character. But yet God seems to think we need more, doesn't he? And remember the old adage, doesn't father know best? Look at verse 4. For in fact, Paul's talking to the church at Thessalonica. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. The word tribulation here is basically we would suffer trouble. Just as it did happen and you know. And so Paul's reminding them. Now, one thing Paul understood, Jesus said, if I suffered, you're going to suffer also. And so Paul understood suffering. In fact, he says, count it all joy when we fall into various things. James learned that. Seems like some of the early apostles, some of the early leaders, they understood the trials were part of it. And so Paul's saying here, as we well know, I know the trials you've gone through. You know some of the trials I went through. Uh, they knew that Paul had to be escorted out at 9 o'clock or sometime in the evening, by night that is, in Acts chapter 17. Now, let me give you a scripture. In Acts 17, verses 5 through 9, there was an assault at Jason's house that we mentioned earlier. Paul had already left, but they went looking for uh, Paul. They found Jason. It was a house church. And they took Jason and the rest of them, a few of them outside, and these were the Jewish religious leaders that took them out, and they plummeted them. They actually beat them. And so the trials, notice again that he says, uh, for in fact, we told you before that we were, when we were with you, that you would suffer tribulation, that trouble was coming your way. Now the Greek takes it a little bit deeper than just trouble, than just tribulation. It indicates that sometimes in the ministry, sometimes in your Christian walk, you are going to be pressed down. The enemy will press you down. That trial will press you down. You will be pressed in the area of suffering. It's just a matter of time. Now, I was thinking of this word to be pressed down. Not just tribulation, not just trouble, but to be pressed down. 
we study the ministry of Christ, and Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He knows it. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's, there's going to be a mock trial. He knows that they're going to find him guilty of blasphemy, which was, everything was fabricated. They broke every law. And Jesus knew that he would go to the cross. But he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know the story. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus prayed three times. If you know anything about this Garden of Gethsemane, when you go to Israel, the garden is still kept up. I'm not sure that it's the exact garden, but it's beautiful. And there are some old, old olive trees there. In fact, some of them were, you know, kept in, uh, you know, with a fence around it because they don't want you to handle them. And so they're estimated to be 2,000 years old. And so these olive trees could have been around the time of Christ. But the word Gethsemane means the olive press. And if you think of the indication of something that has to be pressed to be extracted liquid from, this is the olive press. And so sometimes we can be like this area of Gethsemane. We're pressed down. I was thinking of Jesus when he was praying. We know that he prayed three times. Luke, the physician, he brings it out as a physician, as a doctor. And he says that Jesus was so pressed down in the time of prayer, such anguish, that literally blood came forth from his pores. Now, medically speaking, they tell us that this is very possible. When a person is so drawn out, and I have to be honest with you, all the years I've been a Christian, all the years I've been in ministry, I have never bled from my pores. I don't think any one of you have ever done that. But he was pressed down to that point where Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, he knows he's going to the cross. But in his humanity, his incarnation, that he was going to suffer such great pain. Isaiah 53 gives us beautiful indication of that. And so he was pressed down. And so Paul speaks about some at Corinth were possibly pressed down. Not just physically. Sometimes our emotions. But sometimes spiritually. We can so easily be pressed down. And so Paul's concern for the church at Thessalonica. Look at verse 5 now. For this reason... I could no longer endure it, Paul says. I sent to you uh, to know your faith, lest by some means, and he goes back to this word hindrance, but this time he speaks of the tempter. The tempter is the one that hinders us. This tempter is Satan or Lucifer or the demonic realm. The tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul was anxious. He wanted to send Timothy quickly. Remember, Paul was only there for a three-week span. He doesn't know their affairs. Are these guys still in the faith? I know that there was trials because I, I got part of that trial. I was escorted out. There was riot conditions. I know that Jason was beaten. I know that others were beaten. How is the church holding up? And so Paul wants to send Timothy, as we mentioned earlier, to comfort them, to encourage them. And so... It says here that Paul's, he endured this. 
Now, listen to the word endured. If you have a King James, it is the word forbear. And his patience, it's the same word that's used in verse 1. His patience had wore thin. He couldn't wait any longer. I don't know what's going on at Thessalonica, but I'm, my patience are gone. Men, some of us can experience that. My patience, your patience. Ladies, you, you can become so impatient also. We live in an impatient society. We go down El Paseo, we can get our hamburgers. All you got to do is go drive through. And if one line is longer than the other, get in another line. You can take your clothes to Comet Cleaners, you go to the drive-thru. You go over here to Bank of America, you go through the drive-thru. Nobody gets off anymore. If it was possible, we'd go to the drive-thru at church. That's just our nature. I mean, everybody goes to, you know, to get ice cream through the drive-thrus. Am I the only one? Nobody wants to get off. <laughs> Come on, bring me the drive-through. Let's go through. Come on. And so our impatient. But listen, I believe Paul was impatient. But maybe the Holy Spirit was also prompting him. Paul, go check things out. You can't go but send somebody. Paul has to stay there in Athens, stay there at Corinth. And so he sends Timothy, this brother, this brother, this model brother, he knows he's going to check things out. But the tempter, look at the word tempter here. It's the enemy. It's the demonic realm would come and tempt you. He's going to entice you. He's going to stop you. Now, we have to go to this because we quote it often, but I want to read it to you this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's go to verses 10 through 18. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, when he comes to chapter 6, he's coming to the conclusion of the message. He's closing up the book of Ephesians. And Paul speaks about spiritual warfare. You've been a Christian long enough. You have experienced spiritual warfare. And some of us experience it greater than, than others. Now, let me set this up. Paul had spent time in a Roman prison. In fact, we know that he spent two years, and then he goes back and spends another short time, and then when he's released, we know that Nero has his head cut off. And so Paul understood uh, the military dress. In fact, when Paul was in, uh, basically it was a type of house arrest, but he was in prison. He couldn't go nowhere. He had a house arrest there in Rome, and as Paul was there, he was literally shackled to a Roman guard, a Roman prisoner. So Paul, just the two years spent, he could see that Roman guard every day. He saw the helmet. He saw the breastplate. He saw the shoes. He saw, he saw that shawl or, or that strap, or they called it the girdle, that would go around the midsection. Paul saw the shield. He saw the sword. And so Paul takes that so beautifully, and he turns it around. And he speaks about putting on the full armor of God. Now, real quick, before we get into it, I mean, imagine you're a Roman soldier, and you go out to battle, and you, you say, I'm not going to wear my helmet today. It's too hot. Well, I'm going to go to the battle, but my feet are aching, and I'm not going to wear, you know, my special boots with those cleats at the bottom. You're crazy. 
Well, I'm going to go, and they used two types of shields, a long shield about four feet, and then they used a small one that would be for hand-to-hand combat. Well, that big one is too, you know, it's too big. I'm leaving it behind. Well, when the arrows come, guess who's going to be in trouble? Because this, the arrows are going to hit you. And so Paul's looking at this. And so he writes so beautifully in Ephesians 6. Look at verse 10. He, put, he speaks about spiritual warfare. And the key, before we read it, put on the full armor of God. He begins in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and be strong in the power of his might. And so this strength that I uh, de- derive from is the strength of the Lord. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he says, clothe yourself or put on the whole armor of God. Not just part of the armor, put, put on the full armor of God. And then he tells you the reason that you may be able to, uh, to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now the word wiles here speaks about the schemes of the devil, the tricks of the devil, the tricks of the enemy, the craftiness that, that he endures. Again, he puts obstacles in our ways. I like to refer to the wiles of the devil. You see, Satan, Lucifer, the demonic realm, they have bags of trick. Bags of tricks, and they know exactly what works for Pastor Bob. He, they know exactly what works for you. And he'll bring his bag of tricks, and he'll pull them out, and he'll use them. He'll put the proverbial carrot before you. What entices you? What's your appetite? What's your pleasure? He knows, and he puts those things there. And then Paul gives the reason. I love this in verse 12. It speaks so clear. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, something tangible that I can see, but against principalities and the powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts. Those are the demonic angels of wickedness in heavenly places. This demonic realm, I'm convinced that we all don't fully understand it. Oh, but it's there. You see, if we actually saw the demonic realm, it, it would probably freak us out. We'd probably never leave the house again. But it's there, church. You've been a Christian long enough. You understand this spiritual warfare. We are not wrestling against something tangible, flesh and blood, something I can see, something I can feel, something I can touch, something that I can avoid. You see a car coming towards you, you can avoid it. An enemy's coming towards you, you can avoid it. But the spiritual realm, again, he comes with wiles of the devil, schemes tricks. He comes subtly. The word principality speaks of ranks of angels. The word power speaks of authority. The word rulers can even speak of Satan himself and the demonic realm. Because it says rulers of the dark darkness of this age against spiritual hosts. These are demonic angels of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it's there. It's real. Notice verse 13. He describes our enemy, and so this is what we need to do. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, to resist in the evil day, and having done all, to stand now. The Christians never to run, but to stand firm. You stand firm in Christ. 
You should know your word. You should be prayed up. Oh, and the enemy's still there to, to plunder you, to scheme against you. But we're to stand planted uh, our feet upon Christ. But put on the whole armor of God. Again, he's going to describe some of the armor, but imagine that uh, I'm not going to wear the helmet. Uh, imagine I'm not going to take the shield. Imagine uh, I'm not going to take my shoes. It just will not work, church. Put on the full armor of God. Look at verse 14. Again, he speaks of the word stand. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And this was that girdle or that sash that they would uh, run around to, you know, keep, uh, you know, everything intact. Tie everything down. He calls it uh, to gird your waist with truth. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having put on the breastplate now. The breastplate is what protected the heart, the chest area, the vital parts of the soldier. And so how much more should we protect this heart because the enemy wants to uh, take charge? The breastplate of righteousness put on the right living of Christ. And so Paul's seeing this clearly as he's looking at this military soldier. He goes on into verse 15, And having shod your feet now with the preparation of the gospel of peace. They dove excavations, and they know that they would wear this type of sandal in the Roman army, and they laced it up. But in the bottom, they had already learned how to put the little cleats. And if you played sports, you need to have it for traction. I mean, it's just like us. If we're going to go play tennis, well, let's put on some good tennis shoes. You're going to play golf, you have to have those, you know, little spike shoes. You're going to play football, another type of spike shoe. Now, you're going to go run around on the beach, you put on some flip-flops. I don't think you need spike shoes on the bottom of that. So see, there's a time and a place. And so if you're in the military, you needed this for traction. Imagine that now. Having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what we're going to put. When we walk, when we go forward, we come forth with the gospel of peace. And above all, listen to this, taking the shield of faith. Two types of shield that the Roman soldier would use. One was about four feet and about a foot and a half wide or so. And it was enough for the man to crouch down behind it. And if the arrows were coming, they could even kind of lock in together, make a, a fortress. And when they shot the arrows thus, and, and, you know, hundreds of them would come, you would have that shield. You connect with everybody, and, and you're working in one accord. And all, you know, the arrows, these flaming darts, they're just going to come and hit that shield. But earlier you said, no, it's too heavy. I don't want to take it. It's too cumbersome. I'll just take, you know, uh, the hand-to-hand -hand combat one. You need both of them. And so Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith. How can we go anywhere without the shield of faith? And so Paul was inquiring about the faith of the church at Thessalonica. He says here, the whole purpose of the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. This word fiery darts, in the literal translation, uh, flaming missiles. Now, obviously, they didn't know what a missile was, as we understand a missile today. But the concept is, here comes the, the arrows, and they would be lit 
for fire. And imagine you have that big shield now and you've hooked up with all the other men and those fiery darts, they just come and they hit the shield, the shield of faith here. And the enemy does throw his uh, ignited missiles our way. And verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. I come to saving grace. And I'm to put on that helmet of salvation. And then he says, the sword of the spirit. The sword of the Spirit. I remember when I first come to Saving Grace many, many years ago, and there in our church, everybody would always refer to the Word of God, the Bible, and say, Bob, did you bring your sword? Well, the first time I heard that, I'm going, my sword? What are you talking about? Man, I got rid of that stuff years ago. You know, a pocket knife or whatever you carried around. And the sword of the Spirit. And you learn quickly at Calvary Chapel, did you bring your sword? Yeah, it's right here. Thompson Chain. Or I have a nice Schofield. Man, everybody was proud of their Bibles. Previously, I never carried a Bible around. The only Bible I ever had was on the mantle at the house. And now we carry this sword, this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You've come to saving grace. You put your trust in Christ. God is going to build your faith as you study His Word. The psalmist says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against you. Oh, we need the word of God. So powerful. Now, Paul brings all of this armor. Put on the full armor of God. But here's how it's going to operate. Look at verse 18. And here's the key. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Prayer. You know, I'm convinced that so many times we want to take care of the problem, you know, physically. Men are good at that. The woman wants to call somebody up. I'm going to take care of the problem. And you know that we have such an effective tool, and it's called prayer. Prayer, prayer. You know, I'm putting this study together yesterday. I'm working on it, and I've often shared this. Before I can teach it, I have to live it. I'm in the midst of my study, and I, honestly, don't get frustrated, but I don't like to answer my cell phone on Saturdays. I'm working on this study. I'm trying to get the study done because I want to watch the, the Lakers play, right? That's another trial, right? <laughs> but the phone rings, and I can see it's my mom. I have to take the call. My mom's 82 years old. I don't know what's going on. She calls when there's sometimes just for just to call but sometimes there's problems and here's my mom 850 miles away and, and she's crying i go mom what's the matter oh she goes everybody's arguing everybody's fighting you see i got other family members that live there with my mom and my mom was hiding in the room and she goes oh it's awful they're yelling they're screaming at each other i'm afraid they're going to start pushing and shoving and maybe hitting each other now, this is my family. It's happened before. And I says, Mom, let's pray. No, you don't. I says, Mom, let's pray. She wants to tell me everything. And I, you know, I know that. Mom, I know what's going on. Mom, let's pray. And then my mom's finally quiets down. And she gets, you know, composure. And I just start praying. It was a no spectacular prayer. It was a simple prayer. Oh, Lord, quench these 
darts that are being flown all over our household right now. Lord, my mom's in turmoil. She's hurting, Lord. She doesn't know what to do. She's telling me, I'm going to call the police. And I said, Mom, if you have to, then do so. And a calmness came over my mom. It was so beautiful. I have learned through the years. We get excited, and rightfully so. It's our human nature. But we have such authority. Listen, we have such power. And that is prayer. Lord, 850 miles, I can't go, Lord. Lord, I can't go in between them and stop them. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, quench this right now. You know, God is faithful, church. Put on the full armor of God and then finish it with prayer. The enemy, he does not play fair. One thing leads to another. We have to learn to trust God. Oh, you have such power. And stand firm upon the word of God. The Bible says if we resist the devil, he must flee. And so many times, you want to fight with the devil. <laughs> Years ago, Lester Summerall, he's passed away. I used to love to listen to his programs. And he's a little more Pentecostal than I enjoy. He's a little more charismatic, but he's a good teacher. And he told this story about a demonic, uh, you know, presence that was there. And he actually fought against it through the word of God. But I used to love when he would give that testimony. Evidently, there was a girl upstairs, and she was demon-possessed. This happened way back when. And he went there, and he was going to deliver that young girl. And I never forgot it. Lester Summerall says, I took my Bible, and I went up to the staircase, and I looked up the stairs, and I said, Devil, it's Lester, and I'm coming to get you. And I'm going, all right. Well, that's not the way it works. <laughs> it's not the way it works. But I remember him sharing that so many times. And I'll tell you what, it's not that we respect and we honor the devil, but he has to find his place uh, through Christ. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Michael did not bring a railing accusation. The power is in the name of Christ. The power is in his word. And so the encouragement uh, to pray. And so let's go to verse 6 now. Let's go, go back to our text. And Paul is encouraged now. You have to remember, we're reading this thing uh, as we just go through it quickly. But Paul's received word now. He's received word that from Timothy, they were encouraged. Paul wanted so much to be there. Like I said, I believe the Holy Spirit was leading Paul. Find out what's going on at Thessalonica. I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to encourage Paul. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's returned. He says, and brought us good news of your faith and your love, and that you always have good remembrance of us. He says, greatly desiring to see us as we also want to see you. Oh, that must have stirred Paul's heart. As Timothy comes back with this praise report, basically, that he was bringing from Paul or from the church at Thessalonica to Paul and to Silas. Man, their faith is intact. They're stronger than ever. 
Timothy's report that uh, he says, you remember our visit back in Acts chapter 17, verse 3, it was with joy. And how we wanted to see them, and they want now we find out they want to see us just as bad. I like this whole situation of desire to revisit was mutual. Paul wanted to see the church at Thessalonica. The Thessalonians wanted to see Paul. And imagine receiving this report now as Timothy comes with this praise report. Look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction, he goes back to the trials. In all our affliction and our distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Look at the word comforted, Paul says. We were consoled. We were encouraged. Our hearts were encouraged. In our affliction, our trials, tribulations, hardships. And then Paul says our personal distress. This is interesting here. Of their necessity of comforting uh, their faith in Christ. I, I mean, it was real. Paul needed to be comforted as the church at Thessalonica needed to be comforted. Timothy needed to be comforted. And so did Silas. You know, don't ever think that we're super giants. You think of the pastors and, and they don't need prayer. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, you think of the pastors and they don't need consoling. They don't need encouragement. They don't need comforting. Oh, yes, we do. We're just like anybody else. When people ask me, Pastor Bob, what can I do for you? Pray for me. Okay, okay, well, what else can I do for you? Pray for me again. Man, I tell you, that's what Paul learned. And so imagine, he says, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction, in all our distresses, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Your faith ministered to us, Paul says. Timothy came back with a report, you're strong. That's when we left you. You see, Paul didn't want to leave. Paul wanted to stay, but remember the leaders there at Thessalonica, the early church, they said, Paul, you got to leave, man. There's a riot, and the riot's all built around you. They want to kill you. And the proof text, they wanted to get Paul. They went to Jason's house. They couldn't find Paul. They took out Jason, took out some of his friends. And then I made that comment, man, Jason, maybe inside Jason said, thanks a lot, Paul. <laughs> but Jason understood trials. He understood that he was going to go through them and those that were with him. But they were intact now. Now, I'm thinking today, 21st century, are trials still here? Our affliction still here? We might not see it. You know, personally, physically, uh, third world countries, church, we know that there's great suffering. And notice verse 8, for now we live. Uh, the report from Timothy to Paul, for now we live. Ah, oh, I could just see Paul relieved. If we stand fast in the Lord, it gives us new life. That's what Paul's saying. Knowing you remain strong in the Lord. Their testimony that Timothy brought gave Paul hope. It brought life to Paul. Listen, it brought life to Silas. Now, it's not like they were dead, but it's like their spirit was stirred again. I sense that Paul maybe was so downed 
Paul could have easily been dormant in his faith at this time, concerned about them. Lord, I can't trust you all the way. Sorry, Lord, but what's going on with them? And now the report. Now we live. This word to live, we just shared it last week. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes that the word of God is living. It's not a dead word. And so Paul and Silas, now it's the same Greek word. He says, you've brought life to us through this testimony. as the same as God's word brings life. It's alive. Remember before we came to Christ, how dead we were in the world? Oh, we're alive physically. We're running around, but we don't know Christ. And we come to saving grace. Here, as we just looked at verses 6, 7, and 8, what leader doesn't want to hear a report like this? What leader doesn't want to hear of the flock that it's growing in Christ, in faith? And then he's going to share, as we finish off here, they were not only growing in faith, but growing in love. Agape love. Now, through the years, we've had people come and go through this fellowship, this ministry. We have people that have moved on to other churches. Some people have moved on to other communities, other cities. And I'll tell you what, the greatest joy that I get is when I hear of a brother and sister that sends us a letter, sends us a card, or calls us up. Usually it's around Christmas time. Hey, Pastor Bob, we're serving the Lord over here at such and such. Thank you. We remember all the teachings. Praise God. That's what it's all about. And so can you imagine Paul's heart now? And then he goes on. Look at verse 9 now. For what thanks can we render to God for you? The word render is better translated, you know, what can we repay God for what he's done in your life to the church at Thessalonica? You see, church, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do but to give thanks to the Lord. Listen to how he says it. He says, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. How can I render? How can I pay back God for what he's done for you? But all I can do is say, thank you, Lord. All the glory and rejoicing to God for the church at Thessalonica. Paul could do nothing to repay but to thank the Lord. You know, at this point, some might think, well, thank you, Lord, what you did at church at Thessalonica. I'm going to put an extra offering. Thank you, Lord, for what you did at the church at Thessalonica. I'm going to come and clean the church inside and out. Now, all that's good. But the greatest thing you can do, Lord, thank you. And you find that through the scriptures, and I love that. Uh, we should always be thankful. Lord, I thank you for answered prayer for my brother, my sister in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you healed this particular person. I thank you, Lord, that you're healing this other particular person. We give thanks to the Lord. I want you to listen to this psalm. It's a beautiful two, two scriptures. In Psalm 116, verses 12 and 13, the psalmist says, How can I repay the Lord? How can I render to the Lord for all his goodness to me? He's asking a question. In verse 13, he answers it. I will lift the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. What else can I do? What else can I do? 
Now, don't get offended if some of you are still uh, dabbling in Catholicism, but that's where I grew up. Oh, and I remember, some of you are going to put on your thinking caps. I remember some of those nights coming home late at night, you know, having a little bit too much of the Spirit, right? Oh, God, get me through this, and I'll become a priest. I said that. What a liar you are. Ladies, did any of you? Don't raise your hand. Oh, Lord, get me. Through. I'll become a nun. And then God gets you through this, and you go, oh, God, you didn't hear me, did you, Lord? I really don't want to become a priest. I want to be a father of children one day. I really don't want to be a nun. But we say dumb things. Oh, I don't know how many nights coming home, uh, uh, you know, drunk. And I'd get the St. Christopher out of the dashboard, and I'd, oh, get me home. Like that little statuette is going to get you home. It's only by the grace of God. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Paul knew that it was God that did the work at the church at Thessalonica. Paul knew that anything he accomplished, and Paul was a learned man, belonged to the Sanhedrin, studied under Gamaliel. Paul was a student. Paul was a doctor of the law. And Paul came to grips that it was God. I love this passage of Scripture that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bob has not strength to do it. You have not strength to do it. But I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. The psalmist says, my strength cometh from the Lord. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Oh, I've learned that through the years, church. Without me, Jesus says, you cannot do nothing. Listen, I heard a brother years ago say, you know, Jesus is, is a crutch to you. And I go, that's right. And I need that crutch every day. The 12-step program did not work for me. I need the one-step program, and that is Christ. And so Paul's coming to the conclusion. Now look at verse 10. Night and day. The conclusion is, he puts it all together, prayer. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and listen to the word perfect, what is lacking in your faith. The word perfect, to complete what is lacking in your faith. Oh, you got to love Paul's heart here. Night and day, we pray for you. We exceedingly pray for you. The word exceedingly in the Greek, it overflow within us to pray for you. It was Paul's joy, his privilege to pray and more to pray for them. We need to learn the power of prayer. We need to learn the tool that we have in prayer. We kind of take it for granted. It's like when I only need God. I'm looking at what I'm about to eat. Lord, bless this thing in Jesus' name. And that's okay. But man, when it comes to my kids, when it comes to my wife, when it comes to my household, when it comes to my ministry, dads, we need to learn how to pray. Lord, bind that enemy in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, train up my children in the ways of the Lord. 
Lord, help my wife with this sickness, this disease, this infirmity, whatever it is. Lord, help me to learn how to pray because men were the prophet, priest, king of the home. The power of prayer. On Wednesday nights, we're going through uh, the teachings in 1 Samuel, and then we're going to get into 2 Samuel. But we were learning uh, this past week in chapters 18 and 19 uh, concerning King Saul and David. David's already been anointed, but he hasn't taken his position as king. But what we learn, you know, I have to ask this question. Was Saul a man of prayer? No. We learned Wednesday that Saul was a man of jealousy. Saul was a man of pride. And David was a little shepherd boy that learned how to pray, communicate with God out in the shepherd's fields. And when it came time to come against Goliath, he wasn't a youngster as we might uh, see in our Sunday schools and all that, but David was a young lad, a young teen, such as Isaac was when he went up to the mountain in Genesis 22 uh, with his father Abraham. Remember, Isaac was carrying uh, the wood for the sacrifice. So David was a young lad. So was uh, Isaac. And we know that David knew how to use a sling because he was raising the sheep. When, he went, when David went up against Goliath, uh, he wasn't afraid of him. And he tells the king, he says, hey, I took out a bear, I took out a lion, and I'll take out this bear too. And he did. And then David cut off his head. But are we men of jealousy? Are we men of pride? Are we men of prayer? Now this verse, it always convicts me. In Matthew 26, verse 40, Jesus goes up to pray and he tells his disciples, stand and watch for an hour while I go pray. And when he comes back, he tells Peter, he says, Peter, could you not have watched and prayed with me for an hour? You know what Peter did and the rest of the guys, they went to sleep. They went to sleep. I have learned that it's not good for me to try to pray when I'm in bed. It's 12 midnight. The day's, you know, finished for me. And I'm going to lay down and pray. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to come to you in prayer. Next thing I know, it's morning. I go, wow, I prayed all night. No, you didn't. <laughs> you slept. And if we really sawed logs, there would be sawdust all over the floor. Find the place that you're comfortable with in praying. Walking, silent time with Lord. Get away from the cell phone, get away from the TV, get away from the radio. Spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time with the Lord. Notice verse 11 now. He says, Paul says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Direct our way to you. Now, turn ahead with me because this is going to develop beautifully. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 16. And as you're going there, Paul's prayer for them uh, to the Lord that we can join you soon. And Paul's desire was to see them face to face. We know that from last week's study. Paul knew that only God could bring them together again. And remember what we studied first Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul was hindered. And then we read about the tempter today. And so we have to trust the power of God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives me direction. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you direction. 
Jesus, as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, he tells the church, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will leave you the parakletos. I will leave you the Holy Spirit who is going to lead you, guide you, and teach you all things. And here's the promise. I want, you to, I want to read it with you. Uh, the Gospel of John chapter 16, look at verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you. These are the words of Christ, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, notice these are personal pronouns, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you. The word in the, in the Greek for guide, he's going to lead you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Listen to this, guys. The Holy Spirit is my convictor. Oh, he will convict you. And so God has left us the Holy Spirit of truth. And then it says here, in verse 14, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will not desire to be glorified. But he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So Paul says here that God and the Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to direct our way to you. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit of promise. And as you get older in Christ, your reliance upon the Holy Spirit becomes greater. Bob can't do it. But the Holy Spirit in my life is going to lead me and guide me. He's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. Can I even show you how to pray if you wait upon the Lord? Now, Let's go back to our text. We want to finish it up. In verse 12, And may the Lord make your increase and abound. May the Lord make you increase and abound. And now he says, not in faith, but in love. To one another and to all, just as we do to you. The word increase and the word abound in the Greek is basically, it just flips from one side to the other. And so it reads like this that God will abound and increase, not increase and abound. It's just a play of words. But he's showing you the importance that God will abound and increase, that God will increase and abound your love towards one another. You see, as I study God's word, as you study God's word, he gives us faith. As I trust God, as you trust God, he's building this agape love. Remember, Jesus said, I leave you two great commandments. Number one, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, everything that's within thee, love God. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I go to the Ten Commandments and it says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And, and you know, we see all. But if I love God and God's love is in me, man, how can I steal from you? How can I covet from you? How can I and name any sin? It starts with love. I want you to do some homework. We don't have time. In John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, Jesus speaks about love perfected, love completed. 
And I am being completed. And I just want to read this last verse to you. Verse 17 of John chapter 15. This is my command, that you love one another. Paul had such love for the church at Thessalonica. And now he finds out that they have such love for him. And that's the key to our Christian walk. Love. Love takes over your life. When I first came to Saving Grace years ago, back in Southern California, I don't know how it happened, but the Holy Spirit was leading me. I got involved in prison and jail and street ministries. And I always had this concept. Listen, I mean, I did a lot of bad things. I just never got caught. It was God's grace. But how many people got caught and they're doing the time? And I said, that's your business. And I really wanted nothing to do with jail personnel. And God puts me in the prison ministry. Oh, I loved it. In fact, I was shocked when God said, I want you in the ministry now. I want you to start a church. I, I like these guys. Man, I had a captive audience. I would go to Chino State Prison, and I would have one guy that I would share with for an hour and a half. He could not go nowhere. Then we used to go to, uh, what was that? Tehachapi State Prison, and that's where I met Pastor Mark. And we would share with a group of guys. We came here for a time. I used to go to Southern and share. It's a captive audience. They're there to hear the word of God. And I know many times, you know, jailhouse salvation, it doesn't last. But our job is to go minister. And so Paul says, your love. It's your love that compels you. It's your love. After I got saved, I couldn't believe this. I don't know why I did it other than the Holy Spirit. My wife used to tell me, don't be doing it. I picked up everybody, every stray. Some, I was looking for hitchhikers. And, and then people told me, aren't you afraid to get stabbed? I go, no. As soon as they got in, hi, I'm, I'm Bob. I want to tell you about Jesus. I says, how far are you going? The next block, please. <laughs> This is my commandment, that you love one another. Verse 13, the conclusion, so that he may establish you, church at Thessalonica. He may establish you. The word establish, he may strengthen your hearts. Blameless, that you would be considered faultless in holiness. The word is sacredness before our God and the Father. And listen to Paul's heart. The church at Thessalonica was waiting for the second coming. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The word coming here is we see it in various texts. We're going to share it in the second letter to the Thessalonians. The word coming is his parousia. And it's only used in the second coming of Christ. The second letter Paul is addressing, you know, they were concerned about the second coming of Christ. Maybe Christ already came and Paul has to quench that. The church at Thessalonica was anticipating the hope that the Lord would return in their time. Here we are 1950 years later. Jesus still has not returned, but I can tell you this. If Jesus came the first time at his birth, and then Isaiah said that he would suffer greatly at the cross, and that he would die, he would resurrect, and he promised that he would come back, what makes us think that he's not? 
You see, for the longest time, we didn't know how certain prophecies were going to line up. But in May 14, 1948, is an essential prophetic word. Israel. The Jews went back to Israel. And they became a nation. Nobody believed that. And then Ezekiel says that not only that, you know, the dry bones would put on flesh, but Israel would blossom. They were nothing but a swamp land. You go there today, they have the best fruit. Man, the irrigation system that they've set up, God has showed them. They grow such beautiful crops in the desert. Hey, we do it here. All it takes is water and a little bit of technology and God's hand of grace. God's hand of grace. <laughs> One of our farmers that comes to church years ago, he was planting, uh, Carl was planting alfalfa, and most alfalfa cuts they get four. And he comes and he says, Bob, pray for us because I planted a little bit late. I don't know. We're going to get four cuts. And so I didn't see him at church on Sunday for a couple of Sundays. I said, Where you been? He goes, Man, we've been cutting alfalfa till midnight. And I go, Oh, how many? You know, I don't understand four cuts. He goes, Remember I told you we get four cuts? He says, we got six. He goes, I'm tired. I go, you can remedy that. He goes, how? Stop praying. He goes, no. <laughs> prayer, prayer. Does God work in alfalfa? Yes. I've prayed for dogs. I've prayed for trees. Oh, man, I, I could write a book. Let's all stand. Prayer. Guys, learn how to pray. Father, thank you so much for the church at, at Thessalonica. They, here at the conclusion, they so were waiting for the second coming of Christ. So should we be. If all the uh, prophecies have been complete, the next great prophecy, I believe, is the rapture of the church. Lord, that we would anticipate. Lord, that we would learn how to pray like the church at Thessalonica. We would have such faith uh, to pray, to move mountains, mustard seed faith, childlike faith. Lord, teach us. Timothy was such a model uh, brother in Christ that we would be also brothers and sisters in Christ, a model to others, example to others. Lord, teach us how to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ here, Lord. Lord, as we heard the teaching, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to have faith like the church at Thessalonica. And even Paul, he finds out they had uh, words faithful in the Lord. And then it cheered his heart. It stimulated his heart. And it's good when we see others that are, are faithful. It builds our faith. Encourage us here at Calvary Chapel, Lord. We thank you so much. We ask you to continue to bless the, the, the radio program, Lord, as it goes out a Monday through Friday. Lord, bless your beautiful, your beautiful saints here this morning. Bless them and anoint them and use them, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and we all agree by saying amen.